they're elves, aren't we? Should we be listening? Should we be listening to the Goblin Broadcast Network at gbncom.com? Follow the Path, the Bears Grove Podcast, adult-level discussion of role-playing as a storytelling art at bearsgrove.com. Welcome to the Bears Grove, episode 21 for July 24th, 2006. My name is Sam Chupp, and for the next 30 minutes or so, I'll be your host as we address a few topics related to role-playing as a storytelling art. Today, in our GM's Corner, We'll talk about legacies and how they might be used to both deepen and broaden your story. Then, more specific to players of role-playing games, I have a segment about personalities and how to better play them. Finally, in our Game Designer's Corner this week, we'll create a brand new character in our new game system. But first, we have some news and notes. First off, I'd like to send a shout-out to my buds, the Gamestas, at thegamestas.net. Tyler and Spike were really good to me. We had an interview just recently. If you'd like to check that out, go ahead. And and that link will be notorious. For those of you who have never been to Gen Con, I offer you this special treat. It's called Gen Con Almost Live. And it's brought to you by the folks who do the Dragon's Landing Inn, Chuck and Lonnie. You'll find that URL in the show notes. People who go to the Gen Con Almost Live website will be able to listen to mini-casts and read blog postings by the various gaming podcasts that are going to go visit there. So check it out. Speaking of the Dragon's Landing Inn, a limited edition of the novel Daughter of the Sun by Lonnie Ezel is currently available for purchase at LonnieEzel.com. Lonnie has written this uh, novel over the course of the last couple of years, and... I heard a wonderful interview with him on Chris Miller's Unquiet Desperation podcast, and I'm excited to get a chance to read this thing. I just wish I could afford a limited edition. They're not that expensive, but they're uh, more than I have right now. (laughs) I have launched a brand new blog called Seeds of Fire and Dream. This blog is dedicated to my thoughts about role-playing in virtual worlds, specifically Second Life. I am involved with an open-source software project on Second Life to, de- to develop what is called the Slurp HUD. For more about the Slurp HUD, check out the blog at fireseeds.geekhero.net. And I'd like to wish a happy birthday to Mer Lafferty, who is famous for the Geek Foo Action Grip podcast. The I Should Be Writing podcast, her fiction as published on Escape Pod, and her game writing. My own birthday was the 18th, so I know what it means to hit that yearly speed bump. Time to slow down for a moment. Take stock of your life before going on ahead. Many happy returns, Murr, and take it easy on those wet Keanos. Next up, we have our GM's Corner segment on Legacies.
Because of the abstract nature of some role-playing games, there's a tendency sometimes to ignore some of the most important aspects of an element of the character in the story. One of these aspects is time or age. Specifically, what I'm talking about this time is the tendency folks have to forget that things have a past, just as people do. In my fantasy role-playing game experiences playing in Koronai, I have always tried very hard to make things make sense in terms of time, place, and culture. For example, there are a number of magical swords that were designed by the Lunar Genti Empire's magesmith named Valoran. Valoran worked with the druid to summon nature spirits, totem animals if you will, to be embedded within a series of blades. The blades were designed to be protector weapons, weapons designed to bodyguard individual members of the ruling families. Because they were typically given to the firstborn, or scion, of the house, they came to be known as the scion blades. In the story of my world, however, these blades utterly failed at doing what they were designed to do. No one anticipated the fact that the spirits within some of the blades would look into the heart of their appointed scion and decide that the person just wasn't worthy to be protected. And that's just what happened. It wasn't obvious at first, but when the scions were put in danger, their swords refused to defend them. They subsequently passed into other hands, but just like most intelligence swords, they do tend to find their way to people they'd prefer to use them. The very first scion blade used by a player in my game was Wolfhow. Wolfhow was a present from my in-game secret society called the Brotherhood of the Stag to a player character named Calla Stanford. There was a brief battle of wills when she first picked up the sword, but Calla soon convinced the blade she was in charge. She learned about the mystic powers and secret origin of the weapon as she went along in the story. It wasn't long before another scion blade made its appearance in another one of my games. The sword Hawk's Cry was discovered in an ancient Lunargenti crypt. The only reason the character was not cursed for being a grave robber was because the character who took it was himself Lunargenti and worthy of the blade. Imbuing stories with a sense of history is a very strong storytelling effect, but it can also make it easy for you, the storyteller, to create new material in a very quick and easy way. When I first designed Wolfhow, I, th I called it a scion blade just because I thought that sounded really cool. Later on, I came up with a good reason why it was called that. Then, once I had the pattern of legacy down, I was able to riff on that for other swords. I've avoided naming and numbering all the scion blades for just this reason. As long as I can keep coming up with heraldric-style Lunar Genti animals, in this case, the hawk, the wolf, the raven, the owl, the horse, the lion, whatever, I'll have new magical intelligence swords, and you can imagine what those blades will all look like, what they may be named, and what you could do with them. Because they were created in secret, there's no reason to tell the players how many exist, and they just may come in handy for future stories. Next up, we have our segment on personalities in role-playing games. talk a little bit about how you might be able to play a character with personality. 
the uh, thing that most people do when they first start playing is they essentially play a version of themselves. And this is not a bad thing by and by and large. I mean, after all, the character you know best is your own character. The next thing that a lot of people seem to try is they take aspects of themselves and they play those up, or they play idealizations of themselves. They think about, like, well, what if I were really strong or really fast, or what if I were really, really wise? What kind of person would I be? What if I were a dragon? You know, what would I do? Then you start thinking about perhaps uh, a character from a movie or a book or comics or some other story. You think, okay, maybe I'll play a character just like this one. You can say, well, you know, I want to be kind of soft-spoken and quiet and strong like Aragorn. Or I want to be, you know, jovial like Pippin. Or something like that. You know, you can choose to pick a uh, character that you really like and model your character's personality after that character. And then we get into what I call mixing and matching. Mixing and matching is basically is taking one from column A, one from column B, one from column C. You basically are doing the same thing as just as playing up aspects, but you you mix it. Um, for example, you can play along with your type or against the type. So you could play a delicate, sensitive, emotionally aware and perhaps a little needy half-orc barbarian. Or you could play a a sardonic, sarcastic, really in for it himself, sort of doubting Thomas kind of paladin. And you say to me, well, you know, how could that be? Because you have to be lawful good to be a paladin and blah de blah blah Okay, look, you know, yeah, there are a couple of things you have to do. You have to take everything and sort of bend it a little bit. You can ignore, to a certain extent, the rules if you're a storyteller and you decide that that's what you're going to do. But playing a character, playing a character you like, playing a character that is something that you can actually enjoy playing is much more important than following some structure or some rules that you have in the game. Few people really go into the depth that some people do, and that is to create a character whole cloth and sort of be a method actor. Even method acting involves, to a certain extent, thinking about the experiences you've had in your life and trying to apply them to what your character must be going through. You take on the character, you go deep into it, and you don't come out. But it's not required that you create some complicated person in order to have fun. You can be a fairly simple sort of individual and still be interesting and still have fun doing it. One of the things that I've really enjoyed in the past is seeing what people do when they have characters that are supported through a personality system in-game. For example, the World of Darkness has natures and demeanors in it. Now, a lot of people... I think, kind of ignore natures and, deme- natures and demeanors. But it can be interesting to think about, and it can be another lens through which to look at the character. People can decide to choose a nature that is really completely different, the opposite of their demeanor. So they might be like a caregiver nature and a rebel demeanor. Like people... 
or for example, you know, in the Buffy TV series, Spike was just like that. He was all bluff and punky and rebel on the outside, but on the inside, he was really kind of a philosopher, a poet. He um, sort of a, you know, he was a thinking kind of vampire, not a doing kind of vampire. But, you know, uh, that was on the inside. Another game that I really enjoy is Pendragon for its personality archetypes and the the personality mechanics that are in it. For example, I think I've told you before, they they have a uh, series of paired personality traits. And those traits are somewhat opposite to each other. The personality traits are uh, paired like this. The trait of chaste is paired with lustful. Energetic is paired with lazy. Forgiving is paired with vengeful. Generous is paired with selfish. Honest is paired with deceitful. Just is paired with arbitrary. Merciful is paired with cruel. Modest is paired with proud. Pious is paired with worldly. Prudent is paired with reckless. Temperate with indulgent. Trusting and suspicious. Valorous and cowardly. In addition to these personality pairs, you also have passions. Loyalty to Lord, love of family, hospitality, and honor. There's also other passions you can have love of your liege you can have love uh, you can have love of your uh, your deity um, or love for somebody else or something called amour which is more of a courtly love and uh, I'm not sure if you know this but basically character traits go up and down in Pendragon if you use them and they actually they go up if you use them However, because each of those personality pairs are um, a continuum, and they all they both must add up to 20, then every time one of the pair goes up, the other by nature goes down. So that as you go throughout your game session, you might receive a positive check for, say, being generous. And then later on, you you check to see if that generous will go up or not. At the point which that generous goes up, selfish goes down. It makes sense, right? Um, there are certain personality traits that are considered chivalrous, and those are energetic, generous, just, merciful, modest, and valorous. And those traits... If you you add them all up and you get 80 or better on any of those traits to, in total, then you get a chivalry bonus, which is kind of neat. So, essentially, your role-playing can give you in-game mechanic bonuses if you role-play your character appropriately. If you have a character with a very low forgiving score for example very high vengeful and that character decides to and you decide to maybe act against type and try to be forgiving then you could actually have a chance of raising your forgiving and lowering your vengeful in closing what i'd I'd like to say about personalities and characters is that the kind of things that people think about when they think about characters the things that make them smile the 
memorable quality of the character itself is not whether or not they have a plus five longsword. Rather, it is about whether they are a memorable person, whether they have a personality that makes people smile or that adds to the story. So it will behoove you to think about how you might add some more personality to characters, even if it's just a very simplistic character or a throwaway character. Figure out what you can add to the character and what you can play up or play down and go with that. Okay, coming up next is the character generation segment of our Game Designers Workshop. Welcome back to the Game Designers Workshop. Wanted to let you guys know that the game we've been working on has a name. It is called the Lyrica, L-Y-R-I-C-A, role-playing game system. It will be an open source game, as I mentioned in the first podcast about it. And it is a story-focused, character-focused game. But the most important part about it is that it's designed to sort of simulate and to support the kind of role-playing that I do on a regular basis with my friends, my family, everybody around me, and uh, the sort of stories that I create using the game setting that I have been spending most of my life putting together. So I do hope you'll take a look at it when it is finally out. But for now, I'd like to give you a preview by talking a little bit about the character generation system. Now, people may remember or may not remember from the first podcast about this, but a character consists of facets and aspects. And a facet is kind of your intrinsic characteristics. Aspects are your roles in society, the things that you have developed in yourself over the course of your life. And to start out with, I'd like to, we're going to talk about the generation of the character of Terafear the Bard. Terafear is a Lunargenti Bard. She is half Lunargenti and half of her father was a human from the uh, northern tribes. So she's both half Lunargenti with all of that heritage and half uh, northern tribes. As a result, she starts out with, you know, we, we start, we go down and we rate her character, sort of the basics of her character first, thinking about her aspects and her facets. Now, um, under the action facets, which is action is about movement, um, the kind of things that you would do in combat, athletics, that sort of thing. She is not the most athletic of people. So on a scale of one to five, we're going to give her a two in as- in action as far as her facets go. Now, with her life force, uh, the life facet, she's a very lively person. She's very attractive physically. She is vivacious, robust, enduring. So we're going to give her a rating of three on the life, uh, from a one to five, on the life facet. And 
Her mind facet is unfortunately not as great as some might be, but it's still decent enough. And we're going to give her two on the mind facet. And uh, spirit is where she really excels. Her spirit facet, she has five, uh, a five. She raised a five at it. She's an incredibly spiritual person. She's a very willful, empathetic, charming, expressive, and inspired person. Now, um, you've heard me speaking about her adjectives. Now, what I would do now after defining all these uh, facets, putting numbers next to them, I would go back and choose all her defining adjectives because that's really important. It's important to give more of a basic concept of what she's all about. So to end up this part of the process, we have two points of action and that means there's two descriptors and that is lithe and light of foot. Then three points of life, which is vivacious robust and enduring two points of mind, which is witty and practiced and five points of spirit, which is willful, empathetic, charming, expressive, and inspired. Now that we've got the facets done, the basic qualities of her intrinsic nature, we can talk a little bit about her aspects. Now her natal aspect is street urchin of the city of Jasquan. And this is sort of picked out of the air to a certain extent. There will be lists of natal aspects in the setting book for Coronai because it's important to sort of have a basis uh, upon which to build. But natal aspects are very specific. They are largely associated with where you were born, how much money your parents had, what are the kind of things you did as a child, you know, what, did you have a hard life, uh, an okay life, whatever. So the street urchin of Jasquan natal aspect, which I'm defining for you now, has uh, is a quality three aspect on a scale of one to five. And since she has a quality three aspect, she gets bonuses in three uh, potentials. So uh, remember that facets plus the number of facets plus the number of aspects um, equals your potential. So she gets, she got an action potential from that street urchin uh, aspect, a life potential and a spirit potential. Then we have what, what is called the rite of passage aspect. This is something she came, became as she grew and that when she was able to pass over into adulthood, this is the aspect she took with her. And in this case, it's a special situation because she is a journeyman bard of the Silver Grove Collegium, which carries with it a level four aspect. And those four levels are represented by an action potential, a life potential, a mind, and a spirit potential. So all four facet potentials are in there. Then we have an extra, uh, a node, which is a extra small mini aspect, as I talked about before. And in this case, Tara's node is seasoned traveler. One of the things that's really important about Tara as a character is that she's been around a lot of places. So seasoned traveler is a two point node 
and it gives her an action potential and a life potential. So we're going to total up all her potentials. That's the third step of the character generation process. And what we do is we see, we total up all of the action potentials and we see that there are five and then she's got six life potentials and three mind potentials and seven spirit. So now that we've got all of her potentials, we first have a number that we can use sort of as a rough estimate of the kind of potential uh, abilities she has as a character. If you wanted to go ahead and use those numbers to compare to another person, you could do that right away. But what's most important about potentials is that each potential has an associated ability. And these abilities are created by the player to, in order to better serve the um, concept of the character. And each of the potential categories has their own set of abilities. So for Tara's action potential, she has the following five abilities because she has a potential of five in action. Cut purse um, slash sleight of hand, which is an action potential. Sneaking, dirty fighting, throwing rocks, and dodging. Now notice that those five action potentials of those five, three of them can very easily be defined as this is something that she would have found, you know, would have done during her natal aspect, which is, you know, she got an action potential from that. And, you know, you could easily tie these back to her natal aspect. You could say, well, when she was a street urchin of Jasquan, which is her natal aspect, she learned to, uh, steal by sleight of hand no problem uh as a journeyman bard of the silver grove she learned dirty fighting um and she's just naturally good at throwing rocks dodging and sneaking okay so see how the abilities tie right back into your aspect and your facets and help reveal the power inside of your potentials. The important thing here is that everything build on itself as you go along. Continuing with her character creation, she's got three mind potentials and those give her the following abilities. Spying, street savvy, and memory recall. Then the spirit potential she has um, are flirting with purpose, performing, notes of the heart song, charming with music, sensing emotions, healing, and misdirection. Now notice that these spirit abilities start to get into some mystical power. That's because she's a journeyman bard. That doesn't usually happen with just about anybody, but in this case, she definitely gets access to some of these somewhat magical powers. Finally, we go into her life abilities, and that is, uh, she has a avoid disease ability which actually costs her two life potentials because it's not something you can just buy with one long periods without sleep two life recovery from injury one life and recovery from debauchery my favorite one life so basically what that means is that you can look at char- at the character sheet and say okay tara is 
going to be a sneaky, dirty fighter. She's going to be able to spy on people, have an excellent memory recall. She's good at performing, good at sensing other people's emotions. She's excellent at avoiding disease and recovering from debauchery. And that immediately gives you an idea of what the kind of things a character can expect reasonably to be able to do. Coming up next week, we will talk a little bit more about the character generation system and get into the conflict navigation system, which is our next big hurdle. So tune in next week to talk more about the Lyrica role-playing game system, and if you have any questions or comments, please don't hesitate to get in touch with us at bearsgrove at gmail.com. Moving right along, next up we have the feedback section. Welcome to the feedback section. I've been very happy with some of the feedback I've been getting lately. Support from people in the podcasting community. People like Mick from the Harping Monkey and KJ from the Harping Monkey and JJ Working Man Lonza and other folks have written me emails uh, offline and said, look, you know, Keep it up. Keep going. Um, Don't let the silence get you. And that's been very helpful. Um, Very uplifting. Hearing from folks who really know what it's like to confront uh, a creative process like doing a podcast. And sort of get some support from them. You know, that they want to hear what I have to say too. It strikes me that I may need to do that as well more often. I I do try to let podcasts know when podcasters know when I love their podcasts. But it does strike me that, you know, if I'm gonna get support from the community like that, I, I should probably turn around and show my support to other podcasts as well. Um one thing I do a lot is talk about other podcasts in my podcast. But I think that I'm going to sit down this week and figure out how I can also give back to the other podcasts that are out there. I also heard from Kai Misfit from Second Life. Um, And she said that she really enjoyed the podcast, that she was a fan. um, That although she doesn't really do a lot of posting in forums, she really does want me to know that there's a fan out there. And I was really appreciative that Kai took the time to page me on Second Life and let me know because it was much more interactive and I felt like it was more like a real time, like a fan coming up to you. It was amazing experience. So I really appreciated that and uh, look forward to meeting other people who've heard heard the podcast in world. But that's all I'm going to talk about Second Life this time. The Bears Grove is brought to you by the Fireheart Foundry. In addition to the Bears Grove, the Fireheart Foundry produces the Bears Grove Bardic Circle, Dragonkin, the podcast for kids and gaming, and Fibrant Living at FibrantLiving.com. More information is available from FireheartFoundry.com. Music today is from the Podsafe Music Network at Music.Podshow.com.
the song Lothlorien from the Bob Dignagian Bards. As always, the Bears Grove is generously provided to you under a Creative Commons attribution. No derivatives, no commercial use license, number 2.5. I encourage you to support free culture and think about what cool and nifty things you can do with the Creative Commons license. Find out more about Creative Commons at creativecommons.org. The Barrows Grove also calls for your feedback. Send us an audio or an audio file. And you can also email us at bearsgrove at gmail.com. You can leave us a voicemail at 206-888-2327. The song for our outro today is going to be a happy birthday song by the Brobdingnagian Bards in honor for all of our July birthdays. I am Sam Chupp, and I am signing off saying sweet dreams when you get them. Happy birthday, dear Hobbit and friend. Happy birthday, may the fun never end. Happy birthday, dear Bilbo. Happy birthday, dear Hobbit and friend. Happy birthday, dear Hobbit and friend.